This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and you're listening to the Sportacast, where Scott and I go eight rounds exhibition only in the ring. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to have a decision at the end of this one, my friend. No, 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 no. Like when, when you're, you know, when someone says Scott was right and Eben was wrong, that's a second round knockout. There's no, we're going to the judges, no TKO stuff. That's a flat out knockout. So we'll decide at the end, if there were judges, how we would score the bout. Neither one of us leaving with a payday uh, akin to Floyd Mayweather or Logan Paul, <laughs> but good enough, close enough. Did you, I, I know you, you know me. I'm not watching this. You know me right off the bat, Eben. I'm not signing up for this. I don't care about this. I will see the reaction on Twitter. I will get in the zeitgeist of of the fake fighting the next day, the next hour. But you might have sampled. So let let me ask. Did you? I I did. Oh, my God. I watched all eight rounds. Did did you have Um, any problems? I did not have any problems outside of the the content of the thing itself. It, it was exactly it was exactly what um, what I have come to expect from the tech problems, which, as you know, seem to happen every time there's a big fight on any platform. Yeah, I don't want to pick on anybody. I don't want to pick it on is, anybody because it's it seems if you're streaming, story. yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was not surprising. Uh, I, I have not watched a lot of the the Paul brothers fights, but it was clear that this was more of a entertainment spectacle than it was a boxing event, you know, from the undercards all the way through to Migos performing before the live event. Um, there's some interesting and, and I, you know, entertaining is a word people threw around. There's some of the aspects of, of what Showtime did on Sunday night that I think are things that are going to, you know, start pervading more boxing events just because they are entertaining. Let me hear but it. From a, from a boxing standpoint, this is exactly what, Floyd Mayweather has done. I, I was talking to Corey, our colleague earlier today, Scott. The last time Floyd in his boxing career knocked out someone earlier than the eighth round was 1998. <laughs> right, but uh, I assume so, that was a professional boxer, not a YouTuber. It is, but again, this is Floyd has made his entire career on doing enough to win and minimizing all the risk for himself. And I think you saw that same fighter on Sunday, just someone who was tactical certainly on if it was scored like a regular boxing match would have won. Um, but, but essentially took no risk himself and ended up with exactly what we got on Sunday. Well, let's talk about risk because let's talk about the payout of this thing and where mm-hmm. the risk really lies. Cause that's what this is about, right? We, this is about how many eyeballs can they aggregate? And then in that famous John Skipper, just get the eyeballs. I'll figure out how to monetize. Here were the guarantees going in. 
And this is where Mayweather may be the genius. And I'm I'm going to bring up the quote that I'm sure you saw and maybe have been waiting to use. All right, you're, you're, you're shaking going. your head, so maybe yeah. I'll let you do it. But I'll give the I'll give the numbers on this one. Mayweather guaranteed ten million and fifty percent of pay per view sales, fifty five zero. Logan Paul two hundred and fifty thousand dollar guarantee, ten percent of pay per view sales. So uh, you're wondering. How does this work for people if they tried to order the pay per view but didn't? I'm sure there'll be you know some sort of um, some sort of deal making that has to happen uh, because who knows what the troubles? How many that actually got sold? We haven't heard at, at time of recording, but ten million dollar guarantee, fifty percent of a whole lot of people. I don't know whatever fifty bucks times a whole lot of people. So now you give me the Mayweather quote that if if I had any say in this. It would be not only, you know, in the obituary, we have, we have the between the commas, like it says the person's name and then what, you know, who famously said this, and it would be on, if I had to say, it would be on the tombstone because this <laughs> sums up what's going on right now. Yeah. Floyd called this a legalized bank robbery, um, which I think is, is how you can describe the last 10 years roughly of his fight career. I, you could easily toss his, you know, much hyped, much more lucrative than this fight uh, bout against Conor McGregor. He fought Manny Pacquiao at a, at a very late stage in, in both of their careers where I think it was, you know, he was very confident that he would win, got paid a ton of money for that as well. Those are the two, I believe, highest grossing boxing matches of all time. Floyd got a huge paycheck to fight a Japanese kickboxer a couple of years ago around New Year's, beat that guy in, in one round. Here he did eight rounds against Logan Paul, not an experienced boxer by any means, did not look like it was a risk at all. I mean, I, I get the analogy, right, Scott? He took very little risk. He's guaranteed, as you said, $10 million up front. I don't know what the numbers are going to be, but it's safe to assume that he got paid multiple tens of millions uh, for this fight and a very quick eight rounds of work where he you know, barely broke a sweat. And that seems like a really good setup for him. And the sponsorship money too, not only his hat, yep. his shorts, it's like something like 30 million in sponsorship money for the OnlyFans deal that he struck yeah. right before, uh, I mean, right he before gets the, it, the event started. He didn't just call it legalized bank robbery. I love the, 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 the wrap-up quote was, when it comes to legalized bank robbing, I'm the best. <laughs> like he understands. He doesn't care one iota what anybody says uh, about this is a you know this is farcical, this is a joke. He has perfectly blended sports and entertainment because clearly he understands there is a wide swath of fan who wants to see just this? Who just wants to be entertained is not looking for the sweet science and ooh, the technique and what a great matchup that was. They just wanted to probably see him punch Logan Paul in the face a few times and they enjoyed every bit of the hype uh, moving up to it. What do we learn moving forward for not only boxing, but sport in general? We see the match in golf. I've got quarterbacks playing golfers. Man, oh man, if I can make a lot more money with a lot less stress and work, Maybe that's the way if I'm a superstar, I want to go. We've discussed this before. Why work so hard, right? I, I was going to mention, I'm glad you did. I was going to mention golf right now. Yeah, this this feels exactly like the format for the match, which is take a professional in the sport that is a big name and find some kind of crossover matchup that is going to bring a different kind of set of audience, package it in a way that is a bit more a bit looser, a bit, maybe a bit more fun, a bit more entertainment style than, than the traditional thing in that sport. And you can end up offering huge paydays. 
one, one sport we haven't seen it in Scott, and maybe the sport just doesn't lend itself to it, but tennis is another a single individual sport where there are some massive names. And I guess, you know, having Rafael Nadal play, pick your celebrity, uh, you know, Antonio yeah, Banderas probably is not that interesting. And wait, 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 time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. You had the pantheon of celebrities <laughs> to choose from, or uh, it's, let, let me do it in proper English, from which to choose. And you somewhere in the medulla oblongata pulled out Antonio Banderas. What does that say about me? I, I don't know, <laughs> man. That was awful. So many ways you could have gone. Oy. Antonio Banderas might be a great tennis player, Scott. Uh, there's a chance. He, he uh, might have been. But, but, I, yeah, but I, how about Rafa on one side of the net, Federer on the other, two celebs as doubles partners playing on a helipad in Dubai. There we go. Yeah, that sounds great. It's it, it, it Again, the, the sport doesn't lend itself as well. And the funny thing is, you know, golf obviously does. You can do handicaps. You can structure it in a way that it is competitive, whether someone is remotely close to as good as the other person. Boxing is a sport that I would have thought wasn't really, right? I mean, it's the, the idea of someone who is a 27-year-old YouTube celebrity stepping into the ring, even with a, a, a retired boxer who's 40 pounds lighter than him, I think to a lot of people would have been, that's silly. That's not going to be competitive in any way. This guy's going to get knocked out immediately. The fact that it didn't, and the fact that both the Paul brothers have at least you know held themselves, they've done a fairly good job against people who have some kind of fight experience that everybody thought would, would knock them out immediately, I think opens the door for boxing to kind of hit that golf category in some ways, where... Yeah, the 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 background, the, the 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 boxing talent isn't maybe as 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 big a deal as the name itself. And and I go back further than you do because I'm older than you and have fond memories of Battle of the Network stars and Robert Conrad do, doing doing the uh, the battle there. I, I think as a one off, and there are so many more networks like you'd have to combine some like the Showtimes and the HBOs, and you, you couldn't just have the networks, but. If I, I think just for sort of posterity and for the, all the kicks and giggles out of it, I think you could get people to participate these days and have a, a one night extravaganza of Battle of the Network stars. David Zasloff, if you're, if you're listening, go ahead, take it. Somebody take the idea and give me a modern day Battle of the Network stars. That's what I want to see. Anyway, you, you should pitch that idea to Kevin LaForce, Scott. Oh, oh, look at you, Segway. Segway, you think somehow Redbird Capital is going to underwrite this thing? And we'll figure out where it's going to be? Yes. All right. Kevin LaForce, architect of some of the uh, biggest media investment strategies at the NFL. Uh, story broken by Sportico, you and I. Uh, he's leaving the National Football League to go over to Redbird Capital. He's going to do some uh, media, telecom, telco, uh, investing. Big, big get for Jerry Cardinal over at Redbird Capital. Uh like I think the most read story on our system, people are interested in why someone like Kevin would leave the NFL and go to a private equity firm. Yeah, as you mentioned, kind of the architect of the NFL's media deals, that's the the, the whole $110 billion uh, package that was signed a few months ago. The, the NFL genius sports deal that we wrote uh, a whole lot about that is you know, probably in the end going to end up being a, a billion dollar deal or close to it. That was also Kevin. And, and another thing, he's runs... Or, or was running 32 Equity, the private equity arm of 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 the NFL. That includes NFL investments into on location, Learfield, Fanatics, Skills, Clear, a whole bunch of things. So, so not only was he kind of in charge of a media and a lot of the commercial partnerships, he was also running the investment 
uh, arm of the NFL as well. And, and a good get for, for, for Redbird. One of the things that a lot of people were, were focusing on on Twitter, Redbird, as you know, Scott, owns a lot of the assets of the XFL, is going to be a principal part of bringing the XFL back in its next venture. Adding an executive who is extremely deeply familiar with the business of the NFL feels like it could have some synergies for the XFL as well. Yeah, and I'm looking forward. If I own the XFL, I'm going to lean heavy into sports betting. I'm going to lean heavily into technology. Why uh, just cut a check to have those companies be engaged with your league when perhaps you can get equity stake? I mean, it's what all the professional franchises are doing. And yes, it's the NFL. Yes, it's the owners. But when you're talking about big, big deal making, the numbers weren't there. So 32 equity, yeah, it started out as 1 million from each club. That's 32 million. Yes, it did go up. But it's not the same as Jerry Cardinal uh, investing uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in single deals, whether he's taking 10% of Fenway Sports Group or something else he might be looking at here. Kevin's going to have an opportunity to play in the deep end of the pool uh, with some serious capital. Um, Jerry, of course, uh, just on the Yes Network, by the way, some of the partners there, Amazon, Sinclair, uh, Mubadala, so institutional capital, big companies that are definitely involved in the sports and tech and streaming and sports betting space. You can see that's why this was appealing to him. Yeah, just to kind of underscore those numbers there, I believe, you know, o- over the course of the past 12 years or so, 32 equity was seeded with about $96 million from, from NFL owners. I think it was about $3 million from each owner. Uh, Redbird Capital has has $4.5 billion in assets under management. I think it's up so to five right, now, by the way. I think it's up, up to, to five, five. Okay, so yeah, yeah we're, we're talking about a, a vastly different scale of uh, of investment portfolio when you move from 32 equity to Redbird. Allow me to do transition uh, grandeur, and I'll set it up for you. You know what else is escalating in asset valuation? DC United, Evan Novi Williams. Mm, yes, for sure. So some news that we broke last week, Scott. Um, Mark we break Ingram, a lot of news. <laughs> turns, out, turns out we do. Uh, Mark Ingram, former Heisman Trophy winner, NFL running back, one of a trio of people investing in DC United, taking small minority stakes. Uh, the valuation is the interesting thing here, Scott. $710 million is, is the valuation for DC United in the deal. It is possibly uh, the highest valuation ever for an MLS team in a transaction. If not, it is extremely close. Uh, last year, uh, we wrote at Bloomberg, actually, that, that LAFC had taken uh, bought out part of Vincent Tan's stake. The other owner is at a valuation around $700 million. Either way, this is either a record or very close to the highest valuation ever for an MLS club. And Scott, it comes on the heels of acquisitions in, in Houston and Orlando that were a lot less than this. Um, but what's your takeaway here? I mean, this is obviously a great thing for Major League Soccer to have teams that are trading in the $700 million range. Uh, a lot of people also wondering if this was too high. Yeah, we saw all over social media, uh, like justify the valuation, justify it. You know, they had raised money prior to this at around $600 million before that five hundred. So trending in that direction, um, one of the original teams, you know, DC United, good brand, Audi Field created in 2018, some real estate play there as well. You, listen, you just got to be a believer in soccer. If you are a believer in sport, sport media, tech, in the, in the driver of it all, and the ability to aggregate the eyeballs, you've seen what happened with the NFL's media contract. I know that's the NFL. You hear what's going to happen or is likely going to happen with the NBA if they should re-up, you know, 3X or whatever it may be. The value of these eyeballs is skyrocketing. You get the data on customers in the streaming service. 
Uh, MLS is due for a new media contract very soon. They're going to be out in the market talking. Um, you have to assume that at least one entity, probably more, sees the value in the audience that MLS soccer brings. I mean, did you watch the CONCACAF game or were you busy watching some semi-fight? I, I had both on, yeah. All right, so you're watching concurrently. Yeah, if you're a believer in the excitement of soccer, of U.S. soccer, of the name brands of the Kristen Pulisic of the world, that these young players are becoming global brands and stars by playing in the EPL and elsewhere, then you're a believer in the American soccer fan. And if you put two and two and two together, then there's a reason for escalating franchise values. Comes at a time, by the way, you look back, I'll look forward. MLS plans on expanding. They're adding teams. So you're going to see what those expansion fees. I mean, Toronto FC came in not long ago. I think it was 10 million bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Beckham, yep. great deal when he came over. He, he was smart to negotiate a right to buy the uh, Miami team at a $25 million expansion fee. I mean, big multiples there if he ever wanted to, uh, to get out. Um, so it's, it's a question of, are you a believer in sport, in streaming, in data, in tech, uh, and, and all of it? coming together to drive valuations of these franchises. I am. I, I happen to be. Do I think 710 is the right number? I, I don't know. That's Im- impossible. But what would somebody pay on the open market? Uh, who knows? But I'm very, very anxious to see the new media deal that comes to MLS. And one more thing to kind of piggyback on that in terms of the things in the optimism column, the fact that the men's world cup is going to be primarily in the U S in five years has a lot of people associated with the sport in America, extremely excited. The last men's world cup that was here in 1994 was the catalyst for the sport that launched major league soccer. The expectation certainly is that the kind of fervor around soccer in the U S will be kind of magnified by the fact that the, the biggest. Yeah. And Evan, let's not, let's not forget tournament about the, the going to be here. Let's not forget about the changing demographics of the country as well. There's been that speculation that perhaps there'll be some sort of merger of Liga MX and MLS, bringing some more you know, good soccer brand names. Go look at the Liga MX audiences on the Spanish language television networks in the U.S. It, like, it beats NBA. It beats NHL. Right? Like, people may not understand that because it's not what they view. But if you aggregate the eyeballs of the North American soccer fan, you've got some real numbers that generate real revenue. So here's where, and all of that stuff makes sense to me. Here's where I get confused, and maybe you have some insight here. Oh, we de- that's we, put me we, on the spot. We generally think of minority stakes as the valuation typically being lower because you're not getting kind of all the rights that a controlling owner typically has. DC United, this, this is a minority investment. The it's valuation like 1%, is 710 yeah, 1% million. Exactly. Small. It comes less than a month after the Houston, the, the full Houston franchise and, and its NWSL partner sold for 400 million and the Orlando team and its stadium sold for 450 million, roughly in there. Real Salt Lake is on the market right now. We think that it's going to be roughly in that $400 million range. We have three MLS teams in markets that are selling in the $400 million range. And, and suddenly we have a minority investment at almost twice the valuation. That's the stuff that I'm suddenly curious about whether the other properties are undervalued, whether DC United is overvalued, or if there is just that big a difference between the value of having the MLS club in DC and a, and a newish stadium 
versus some of these other markets? Yeah, I think that a real estate play is is part of it. Yeah, that newer stadium and some other real estate possibilities. Yeah, I'd have to see the agreement between buyer and seller to know exactly what comes with, which of course we are not we are not privy to. Uh, but to have that sort of gap certainly is cause to wonder why. I mean, did Ted Siegel get such a great deal in Houston? And are the Wilfs getting such a great deal in Orlando? I, mean, I, I don't know. But if we put DC United 100%, if Jason Levian and Steve Kaplan said, you know, we've had a great run, but we're just going to put this on the market. I, I don't know what the bids would be. I don't know how many buyers would show up. Um, you'd probably find multiple who are believers in all the things we discussed earlier. And this is not like the only athlete, by the way. It's a, not just a celebrity play and investment. You know, Kevin Durant owns a piece of the Philly team. James Harden owns a piece of the Houston team. Russell Wilson owns a piece of the Seattle team. So this is not sort of a one-off. You're starting to see as part of bigger portfolios, and we're hearing athletes looking down the line saying they want to be owners of teams. This is a good way, and I wrote a piece many, many years ago as to why folks do things like buy half a percent, one percent. Yes, ego was on that list. It was flat out ego play was one, but also on that list that people probably overlook is the training ground. The things you learn by just seeing, listening, hearing, taking part in, uh, picking the brain of the majority owner, the general partner, you learn that, you know, this is for me, or maybe this isn't for me. It's a, it's a, it's a unique training ground for maybe looking ahead at something uh, with, with a little more teeth to it. One other thing we should mention on MLS, uh, not only do MLS owners own kind of the the, the, the team that they have, they're also uh, equity owners in Soccer United Marketing, which is the, the league's commercial kind of marketing arm that also for a very long time has been the commercial marketing partner for U.S. Soccer. That deal is changing in the next year or so. Soccer United Marketing will stop being the kind of rights holder and, and negotiator for U.S. Soccer. U.S. Soccer is going to go out and kind of do that on its own. Uh, so it also makes me wonder kind of how, if everyone who invests in MLS is also thinking about the equity they're getting in, in, in Soccer United Marketing and the value of that over time, how much the kind of separation of U.S. soccer from Soccer United Marketing is fe- affecting the way that they think about the value of those shares as well. Excellent point. Let's end it with soccer. We got about a minute. Manchester United, the Glazer family, they were part of the Super League. Fans were not happy. Uh, you know, near, near rioting on the stadium grounds actually resulted in the postponement of a game with Liverpool. Well, guess what? The, the Glazers have decided uh, on a number of new proposals, including, by the way, the creation of a, a new set of ownership shares, at least the possibility of a new set of ownership shares that would come with the same voting rights as the majority holders. That's the olive branch to the fans. This is a, we care about you. We're listening to you. Please don't be so angry with us and continue to come and root for the team, right? There we go. It's proactive, Scott. I mean, there there was all this talk about kind of what the ramifications were going to be if in places like in England, if there might be some legislative changes that would kind of force uh, team owners to, to include fans in their ownership structure. Man U is at least the first of the, of the Super League cast-off returnees uh, to at least take a step kind of on its own volition. And this comes as a few of the Super League teams are still essentially fighting to keep the Super League alive in, in some capacity. I think here, Scott, you just have to, to wait to see 
how much, how many of these shares they end up making available. There's a world in which this is a massive deal that changes kind of the course of Manchester United and, and the decisions that get made. And there's also a, a chance that, that, that the amount of these things that get kind of spun off of the Glazer share is so small that it doesn't make a difference at all. Let's so list we'll, North America we'll and Europe. See. One share of Packers stock for every share of Man United. That's it. You know, <laughs> you're not going to get the Buccaneers. The Glazer family owns that also. But we're going to they're going to make a work a deal with the Packers. I mean, but really telling Evan and in Jacob Feldman's story, Joel Glazer appeared at the team's fan forum for the first time in more than 15 years. Yeah, it tells you all you need to know, right? Tells you that like, all of a sudden it's really important for him to be there because I mean, must the Manchester United supporter trust, as it's known, that's a pretty powerful group. Like they were created in 98 for the principal reason to prevent Rupert Murdoch from taking over the team. So, uh, and by the way, Man U is the most valuable club in the EPL, at least according to Kurt Poddenhausen at $4.65 billion. And I think you and I agree if Man United 100% went on the market, probably top $4.65 billion. So there's a a good reason for the Glazers to uh, offer that olive branch and squash this right now. And for folks who may be wondering, uh, Manchester United is listed publicly on the New York Stock Exchange. Those are non-voting shares. So this is different than the, 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 the equity or the stock that you can buy in Manchester United as it is right now on the open market. Because this, as you said, Scott, at the beginning, these are shares that come with the same voting rights that the Glazer family has, as opposed to kind of the passive equity that you can buy on the stock market right now. Go check out the ticker symbol Man U and check out Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Cora Veltman, our social media coordinator, likes me to remind you that the show is on Twitter at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will become the Sportico Podcast Network.